The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Raise your hand if, you, if you've never heard the story of Zacchaeus. Okay, there's a few people. So we're, you're gonna, we're gonna walk through the story. It's 10 verses, so we'll walk through the story. So probably 90% of us are familiar with it. But when you hear a story uh, over and over and over when you're real small, then it's easy for that story to, to seem like it's not real. Is that, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I, I've heard that story. I know it happened, but it doesn't feel real. It doesn't seem real. And so, and then we had the song about Zacchaeus. Y'all remember the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Rob made a joke earlier. Apparently he was Scottish because he was a wee little man. Uh, and I always, when I think of that, I think of uh, the, the, uh, the small person I think of in the, in, in the movie world um, is Lord Farquaad from Shrek. Remember that cat rode around that horse? Remember when they pulled him off the horse and his, he had those long fake leg boot things and he was like, I'm not really that tall. You know, they sit him down and he's waddling around. Zacchaeus, a little bitty fella, and he had a big case of little man syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? Little man syndrome. So we're going to dive in and we're going to study the story of Zacchaeus. And I think you'll see as we work through it, the context that applies to the, the focus of this weekend. So Uh, Luke chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 1. It's just 10 verses. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Okay, so uh, Jericho is a specific place that we know from history is a real place. And in fact, there are two cities in the Bible that have been uh, like... um, archaeologists have done a ton of excavation work. You know what excavation is? They're like digging bones up and, 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 and finding like old structures from olden days when these people lived there. And Jericho is one of those cities. And Jericho was a place where before Jesus came into the world, matter of fact, a couple, you know, like, like a couple thousand years maybe, before this story happened, or 1,500 years, I don't remember exactly the timeline, more than a 1,000 years before this story God sent people into Jericho in a similar way to rescue this lady, and her name was Rahab. Have you ever heard of that story? Rahab. And if you don't know that story, Rahab was a prostitute. And so she was a woman who was, she worked as a sex trafficked sex worker, and she worked in this really pagan city called Jericho. And there's a really cool story in the book of Joshua It's in Joshua 2, 3, and 4, an Old Testament story where God sends people into Jericho to rescue this woman named Rahab. And so we're going to start to see a theme unfold when you're reading through the Bible. You see the name of a place like Jericho. Pay attention to that because there's a good chance there's significance in that. Otherwise, it'd be like Jesus was going through the countryside or Jesus was somewhere down south or up north. Like it's specific. And so in this story, you've got this really cool parallel story where Jesus is saving two people who are very sinful in completely different ways, but are very sinful. Rahab, a prostitute, and Zacchaeus, as we're going to see, a super dishonest guy, very greedy too, like super greedy, super, super dishonest. It says, he was passing through this place called Jericho, and behold, there was a man named uh, Zacchaeus. Now, I want to point out that Jesus, Jesus doesn't do random things. Like, how many of you not... You're not raising your hand for yourself. You're raising your hand for your friend who's here. How many of you have a friend who's here who's like super random? 
Anybody? Yep. Okay, that's what I figured. Bunch of people. Like some people just super random. They say random things. They do random things. You're like, what was that all about? I don't know. Just random. You know, just do random things. And all of us have done random things. And like sometimes, and, and I, I don't do a lot of random things. And now that I've been a dad for several decades, like uh, I don't do, you know, kind of like, I'm kind of like old man boring now you know what I'm saying but I can remember being super spontaneous when I was a kid like uh, when I was a kid and into my all through my 20s very spontaneous very spontaneous like I remember one time there was this uh, there was a cliff um, there was a cliff that I saw when I was about 15 years old, I was working um, for this company that did like landscaping and stuff, and they were working at this rock quarry, and I saw this big, huge cliff that was in, you know, the rock quarry is where they get gravel, and I remember thinking, man, it'd be so fun to jump off of that cliff, and then I found out later, it's like 200 feet tall, and so they found out that would like kill you, even if you jumped into water, it was a good chance it would kill you, but we planned, I remember we planned out this adventure to go in there and repel off of that cliff into that lake it was really cool but it took a lot of planning like there's nothing random about that this is when I was in my 20s and so that was there was some spontaneity but it was also very planned and it required a lot of thought but it felt just crazy and wild because we did it at night and when we rappelled down off of this cliff we didn't have a rope that was long enough it was me and Zach and Spencer and my wife Little who's playing the drums this is about this is over 20 years ago and I remember going down that rope and you couldn't see the the water below you and all of a sudden I was at the end of the rope and I knew the rope was like 160 feet long and now I'm at the end of the rope and I don't know how far it is to the water and so we've planned this thing out except we we did one thing wrong we didn't measure how much of a rope we needed. And so I remember just jumping off, just falling off the end of that rope and counting one 1,000, two 1,000. I think it was maybe, I, I estimated maybe fell like 40 feet and then bam, hit the water. So trippy, man, but it was like really, really cool. And then I'm like, okay, when you get to the end of the rope, um, just just let go and, and you'll fall for a couple seconds and then the next guy would go and we all did it and then we're laughing and we swim out of there and so there was this sort of like that was one of those things that was like it was very planned but it was also there was this adventurous feel to it and I feel like that kind of like that's how Jesus's life was like he was there were times where you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these crazy adventures are happening. I mean, Jesus was doing stuff that are just like out of this world, but then you'll see these moments where it's very specific what he's doing, and it highlights and, and helps us to realize Jesus didn't just show up on earth and sort of bumble and fumble his way through. He came here, and he's going to tell us in our text, to seek and save people who were lost. This is very specific. Another time, I'm driving down the road, me and Little, my wife, and we saw a sign on the side of the road that said, live karaoke tonight. Now, y'all know what karaoke is, right? That's where people get up and sing, and we pulled in. I was like, oh, we're going to go watch this, and they had like 25-cent wings. We pulled in there like this is going to be awesome, and they got up there. People were getting up there, and almost all of them were singing country music. And almost all of them sung really bad. And we try not to giggle. You ever try not to laugh 
at a time when you can't, you better not laugh or you'll get in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe it's in a class or something like that. And we're sitting there and we're, <laughs> we're eating our food and we're like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. These people sung so bad, but they had all must have been watching like, uh, like the voice or something. They, had, they thought they could sing good. They're all getting up there. And I remember we left and we're like, we got to come back here. I know that was random and that was just a spot, like, like that was spon- a spontaneous stop. We got to plan a trip back to this place. So we planned a trip back there. We went back there. It was no longer a karaoke bar. You know what it was? A Bigfoot museum. That was even better. It's in Blue Ridge, Georgia. You people from Clay, uh, from Clay County, y'all probably been, where y'all at? Where's my, y'all probably been right down past that in LJ or the Rome crowd. Y'all see the Bigfoot Museum? I've been there. It's awesome. Not as good as karaoke, but it's good. You need to go to the Bigfoot, Bigfoot Museum. But like all of us can think about times in our lives where, you know, you're just kind of like, ah, what are you going to do tomorrow? I don't know. And you just kind of make it up as you go. Listen to me, y'all. I want you to understand Jesus did not go through life making it up as he went along. He didn't do that. He was very strategic and specific in what he came to earth to do. He left the throne of heaven where angels worshiped him and still to this day worship him. And he came here on a mission to save lost people. What is a lost person? A lost person is someone who doesn't have a legitimate relationship with God. A lost person could be someone who's dealing with the past of abuse. A lost person could be someone who's arrogant and prideful and doesn't think they need anybody. A lost person could be someone who's destitute and broken and sad and sorrowful. A lost person could be someone who was abandoned as a young child and grew up wondering if anybody cared about them. Or a lost person could be someone who grew up with two parents who went to church and spent time in the church and that kid grows up going to church and then never really receives Jesus as a Savior. Lost people come in all shapes, size, packages, and backgrounds. I grew up going to church all the time and didn't come to know Jesus until I was 20 years old. So Jesus came to seek out and save lost people. That's his mission. We'll see it in this text. And so Jesus doesn't show up in Jericho like just randomly. I want to tell you a story. I'll tell you two stories that are very serious. Um, The first one was, and I think the longer you walk with Jesus, the more that you'll experience this. Because Jesus is not random and and he's on mission always, and if you're a Christian, Raise your, how many Christians are here? People like you profess faith in Jesus, you follow Jesus. Oh, the majority of us, and I would assume that. If you're a Christian, if you just raised your hand, listen to me. You are on mission to build the kingdom. Like we are kingdom builders. That's what we do. We build the kingdom. How do we build the kingdom? By using the gifts, the talents, and the opportunities that Jesus has given us to share his love with others, to share his truth with others, to be a good friend to others, to live lives of holiness set apart for God in a dark world to be a light, in a dull world to bring salt and savor and flavor to the world. So Jesus has called us to be on mission. And and sometimes what will happen is the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you'll become in tune to his voice, the more you'll become dialed into his voice the more you'll realize who he is. And sometimes it'll start, like, like sometimes the voice of Jesus might even startle you. Just this morning, I've got a, I've got, um, 
I got a son who's nine years old, and and our favorite thing to do together is to play Nerf Wars. And so, uh, and and, I, and my favorite thing to do is to cheat to win. So whatever it takes. And so we're playing Nerf War today, and because they had uh, here in our county, we had a remote day today. So nobody went to school. Got another remote day on Monday. I don't know if y'all still doing those in y'all school, but they had to stay home. So it's like, you knock out your schoolwork in the morning. I'll take some time. We'll play Nerf War. So. That little turd, let me tell you what he did. He gave me the, the, the baddest gun. That sucker's a machine gun. Y'all, y'all know the, the ones that are like, you just pull that trigger and it's like, doo, 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 doo. got a big old banana clip. Doo, doo. He's like, oh, you're going to like this gun, daddy. He handed it to me. I'm like, doo, 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 like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I want this. I loaded them bullets back up. Like, let's go. He got the crossbow. A crossbow, you cock it one time, you shoot it. You cock it one time, you shoot it. I'm like, that little dummy, I'm, I'm going to light him up in this game. He's going to be like, pow, pow. I'm going to be like, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to wear it out. So he starts on one end of the house, I start on the other end of the house. I sneak out of the window and go outside. I told you, I'll cheat, I'll cheat to win. If you ever play anything with me, Uno. Board games, what, I'm going to cheat, just, just so you know, I'm going to cheat. And so, like, I'm just letting you know. So I go sneaking around the corner, and my dog, one of my dogs is laying there. And he goes, <laughs> and he bowed up on me. And I went, easy, Ace. It's just the boss man. And he went, oh, all right, what's up, boss? And he lay back down. It startled him, but when he heard my voice, it was, everything was okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are times where, oh, let me tell you what Mo did. He, he took the battery out of my gun. So he out-cheated me, little turd, and then he lit me up with that. He was like, cocking that thing, pow, cocking that, pow. Cocking. So it's funny. So that dog, when she saw me at first, it startled, her, uh, it startled him, but then he recognized my voice. If you're walking with Jesus, listen to me, y'all. There are going to be times in your life where Jesus is going to call on you to do something that may throw you off, freak you out, startle you. But if you're a child of God, Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice. And I want to make the point at this part of the story that as Jesus is on mission going into this place called Jericho to save this lost and broken man, he's going to call us to go on mission to enter into our Jericho or our Jerusalem, you like like your hometown, your high school, your middle school. He's going to call on you at times to do hard things to take the love and the and the hope of the gospel to people, because that's what Jesus is about. He's about advancing the gospel. So look what he does. He shows up to Jericho to save a man who's unable to save himself. This man's name was Zacchaeus. And, it's, and we, it tells us two things about him. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And here's why, here's why we know that. Chief, like a chief tax collector was, so what had happened was the Roman Empire became very powerful and the Jewish people, were they were the Israelite nation. And about 150 years before this story, they, they fought back against the Romans. They fought back against the, the big empire and they whipped them good. Like they drove them straight out of their country and they took their country over. And then the Romans built a bigger army and like, we got to go in there. We got to crush these people. And listen, y'all, it was brutal. They're like, we're going to crush them. We're going to kill them. We're going to rape, burn, pillage. We're going to rob, loot. We're going to infiltrate their towns. We're going to come in and occupy their cities. We're going to take their sons and daughters and make them our slaves. And we're going to root out any chance of aggression by these people. 
And one of the ways they did it was they set their people on thrones in these little cities. And there are these big cities and small areas around Israel. They would take a guy and they're like, hey, man, you got some Jewish bloodlines or some Jewish family. You can be a, Ro- an, a local king for Rome. And they established these like local rulers. And then those local rulers hired local men to, to rule and govern over the people. And the way they would do it is they would, they would oppress them through taxation. Y'all know what taxation is? That means, let me tell you, okay, let me tell you, let me tell you how taxes work. See, you're going you're gonna to get your first job. Bless your heart. You're going to go, I'm making about $14, $15 an hour. It's going to be good. And you're going to put in about 50 hours a week. Because you're, cause you're, cause you're above mediocre. Because your peer group wants to work 20 hours a week and call that full time. And you're going to be like, oh, man, what's that come out to? Let's see, listen, 50 hours a week, like about $750. i am going to get $750 this week. And you're going to get your check. It's going to be about $350. And you're going to go, time out. See, that's called taxes. (laughs) And it's also called something else that I can't say in church. All right. So like, like, but like, so, so we have taxes here, but it goes, it comes about differently. But back in the olden days, they would enforce taxes where you would have to come and they would take your stuff and they would, what they did is they kept the people impoverished. And the way they did it is they used their relatives, their friends, their neighbors to impoverish them. This, this guy was a Jew. Like, this guy, Zacchaeus, he got rich by beating his own people down, keeping them in submission, and staying faithful and loyal to the, to the occupying, invading force. It would be like if a Jew in Berlin in the Holocaust got a job as a general in the Nazi army or a, like, like a tax collector in the Nazi, like, and that may be a little harsh of a parallel, but you get the idea. These, these people, didn't, they didn't like him, and he didn't care. You know why he didn't care? Because he was rich. He had status with the Romans, and he didn't care. The problem is he needed Jesus. He needed Jesus. He, and by the way, it's not, it's not a sin to be rich. But Jesus said in, the, like, this chapter right before this one, Jesus told a story about a rich young cat, and he's like, he said, man, I, this cat was, like, loaded. And he's like, what do I got to do to get to heaven? And Jesus is like, you got to sell your stuff, man. You can't just be religious. You got to give. And there's this moment where this guy, you realize he loves money more than he loves Jesus. There's nothing wrong with being rich. But here's what happens. People who are rich tend to not have needs that are so recognizable. It's comfortable. It's comfortable. And most of us would be like, well, I ain't rich. I ain't rich. You ain't rich. If I'm a rich man, this is a good costume. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all ain't, most of us ain't rich, but I'll be honest with you, compared to the way most people in history have lived, we got it pretty daggum good. We actually are rich compared to 90% of the world or something like that. My daughter and son in law, where they live, they work with Sudanese refugees. Those, those people, they're, they're doing good to make about $10 a month and live off of that. So we got it pretty good. And the problem is when you got it pretty good, a lot of times you don't recognize your need. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't even realize 
your need for Jesus. You're like, no, I'm good. Life is good. I'm comfortable. Zacchaeus was comfortable. He was real comfortable. But we get to verse 3. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. See, he was seeking, which tells us one of two things was happening. Either he was curious. People who are seeking and searching are either curious. I want to see. I want to see. What's going on over there? You ever see a crowd gather around? And people are like, what's going on? What's going on? You're standing on your tiptoes. Either he's just curious or he's seeking because he's empty. Because I'm going to tell you a huge principle that if you can learn and understand this, even at this stage in your life, nothing, listen to me, look at me, nothing that this world provides or offers you will satisfy the deep longings and the deep recesses of your soul. They won't give you satisfaction. They will for a little while, but you can think about this in, a, in the most basic principle. If you think about when you're a little kid and you, got, you wanted some toy or something so bad and then you got it and within a few days or weeks, maybe months, you weren't playing with it anymore. Did you ever have that happen? You want it so bad. Like we might want things the world offers, but it's not going to fill us up where we need to be filled up. You see what I'm saying? Like that's what, that's, that's what might be happening here, but at any rate, he's seeking and not only is, it, is he seeking, but it says in verse 4, he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he's about to pass that way. He ran ahead. He's planning. He's working. He's working to get to Jesus. But we also know that even in his working, he couldn't actually get to Jesus because he ends up in a tree. Though in his, listen, y'all, there's a cool picture right here. In his best effort, he couldn't get close enough to Jesus. In your best effort, as a Christian, you can never earn what Jesus can freely give. He has to come to you. He has to come to Zacchaeus. That's what he does. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I'm going to stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Jesus had to call out to him to draw him out of the tree. Zacchaeus had to respond to Jesus in obedience and come out of the tree. And he did so. And he did so joyfully. This part is important. Look back up at verse 3. He was seeking, it says. He was seeking. He had wealth. He had goods. He lived comfortably. But he didn't have joy. One of the biggest lies of the enemy, one of the biggest lies this world will tell you is that the things of this world will provide you with happiness and fulfillment and joy. I'm going to tell you something, young people. When you respond to Jesus in obedience, you will find true, abiding, lasting joy. The world's going to redefine for you things like sexuality or status or popularity or purpose or value. Do this and you'll be happy. Do this and you'll find joy. And those are lies when the world is telling them. There's another time where Jesus said, I've come to give you abundant life full of joy. Jesus will give us joy. Additionally, I think the reason that Zacchaeus had joy is because I believe that if Jesus is coming here on purpose and on mission and with reason and not randomly, Jesus has prepared Zacchaeus' heart to receive him. Listen to me. This week, as a staff, we have prayed for y'all that Jesus, without you maybe even knowing it, would be preparing your heart and preparing your mind to hear his word and receive what he says to you this weekend. Just like Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus, Jesus is going to speak to us this weekend. And we have prayed specifically that he would open your heart 
prepare your heart and prepare your mind to receive what he was going to give to you. I told you, I was going to tell you a couple of hard stories. It was a, go back to that thought about sometimes Jesus is going to, he's going to call us into mission. I was awakened one night, I was in my bed, this is years ago. It's probably, gosh, it's probably 15 years ago, maybe more. I'm in my bed and I wake up and I can't go to sleep and I'm wrestling. It's probably like about one o'clock in the morning. And the Lord's putting on my heart to go see this guy that I know named Charlie. And Charlie's like probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years older than me. And Charlie was a guy that I'd become friends with, but he wasn't a Christian. I had shared with him about Jesus. He wasn't hearing it. He didn't. He wasn't interested. He wanted to be my friend. I wanted to be his friend. We used to ride horses together. We used to go up in the mountains. We'd take our horses. We'd ride. We used to hunt together. We'd hang out. And Charlie comes over to my house, and he said, uh, he comes over to my house, and I go over to his house, and we just sit around the fire, and we talk, and we hang out. He's a good friend. He's not interested in the gospel. He's not interested in things of the Lord. He goes through a really horrible relationship breakup, and his wife leaves him. And I wake up one night, and the Lord says, go to Charlie's house. I'm like, hmm, what? Now, I don't know how to explain this to y'all. I hear people, I hear preachers say this a lot. They're like, I didn't hear an actual audible voice. I'm going to tell you something. I've had God speak to my conscience in a way that was more powerful than an audible voice. Because an audible voice, I blocked that out. I'm, I'm super ADD, like as a kid I was, and I still have a lot of those characteristics. And, I, and you'll know, you know people that are like this, and maybe some of you are like this. Somebody could say something to you and you just don't hear them. An audible voice sometimes, does. look, when God speaks to your soul, you'll know it. Like, you'll feel it. And I know God told me to go to Charlie's house. I drove over to Charlie's house. He lived in this beat-up, run-down trailer that was rusted out on the bottom. It was, it was, it was like about to fall in. He was, he was a pretty rough cat. And I come pulling into his driveway. I get out of my truck, and I can hear music playing, blaring so loud. It's like deafening in his yard. It was like 1 o'clock in the morning, and I go up, and all the lights are on in the house. And I go up on his front porch, and I look in his, in his uh, door, and I can't see him, but he's got the TV on. But it's like one of those uh, channels that's just a screen, and it's just playing music. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's like a music channel, but not a video channel, but like a music channel. And it's playing this really obnoxious music. And I'm like, all right, this is weird, because he, Charlie li didn't listen to that kind of music. And I could see his feet, like I could see his, his, he had cowboy boots on and his feet were crossed like he was in his easy chair, his lazy boy chair. And I cracked the door. Well, Charlie had long hair and a big Fu Manchu cowboy mustache with a beard that was trim. And he had this big, he looked like something right out of a movie. And long hair. And I peek in there and Charlie, I didn't recognize him at first, he's sitting in the chair He's dressed in brand new clothes. You can tell they're brand, brand new dress shirt, brand new jeans. He's got them starched, brand new cowboy boots. He's shaved except for a mustache right here, and he got a haircut. I could barely recognize him. And he's laying there with a rifle on his chest and the barrel stuck right here and his finger on the trigger. And I went, Charlie, what are you doing? And we began to have conversation. It took a few minutes for him to set that gun down and for him to sit up in that chair and for me to come in and turn the TV off. And I stayed in there with him till about 3 in the morning. And when that night was over and I left, he said, I'm going to tell you something. 
I don't know what it is about this God that you serve, but I have no doubt in my mind that he brought you to my house tonight or I would be dead. I was getting ready to pull the trigger when you banged on my door. Now, I'm going to tell you that Jesus is always on mission with a purpose. He's, it's not random. And what's critical for us is to learn how to hear the voice of the Lord. Now, I could tell you 20 stories where I didn't listen to the voice of the Lord. But when God speaks and he's drawing people and he's working, it's critical that we listen. When God speaks to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, his whole life has been spent selfishly, man. All he's ever done is for himself. Get more money, get more stuff, get more wealth. But when Jesus speaks to him, he responds to Jesus and he comes down out of that tree. And what happens is salvation comes to him. People are yelling like, don't talk to him. They're mad at him. They don't want Jesus to have anything to do with him. But he comes to Jesus in repentance. He wants something that Jesus has got and that Zacchaeus doesn't have. He comes to saving faith in Jesus. Let me tell you, the evidence of someone who has truly turned to Jesus is that they will be repentant. Because look what happens um, when we get to verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. How do I know that he became a Christian that day? How do I know that his life was changed by the gospel? Because Jesus says so. How do you know that your life has been changed by the gospel? Because Jesus said so. If I ask you, hey, are you a Christian earlier? And I said, how many of you are Christians? You raise your hand. If I came to you, look at me. If I came to you and said, why are you a Christian? If you said, because I, then you need to stop the sentence right there. You're off the rails. Because I said a prayer. Because I got baptized. Because I went to church. Because I took a vow of purity and won't have sex until marriage. Because I, because I, then you're off the rails. But if you say... Because Jesus, now we're on the right track. Because Jesus came to my house. Because Jesus called me out of the tree. Because Jesus went out of his way. Rather than go around Jericho, he passed through. Because Jesus called my name. Because Jesus gave me his righteousness. Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek... And to save the lost. Listen to me, young person. If you have ever felt like you're not worth anything, the Son of Man came to seek you out. And the answer to your question has to be, because Jesus came to seek me out. Because Jesus gave me his righteousness. Because Jesus declared me righteous and holy and pure. And all I did is respond in obedience. All I did was come when he called. All I did was go towards him and respond to him and submit to him. That's all Zacchaeus did, and that's all any of us can do. And before we can ever think about getting our sexuality right or understanding relationships, we got to understand who we are in Christ and understand that relationship more than anything else. And that day, Zacchaeus got it right. Zacchaeus got it right. And look what he did in verse 8. He sold all of his stuff. Give it to the poor. He's going to be giving people. Look, one of the things that's evident when a person repents and turns to Jesus is the fruit of the repentance will be that your actions will follow your faith and your belief. 
So I want to give you some concluding thoughts and, and discussion application. I'll give you, I want to give you three questions to, to think about and to talk about and to, and to follow up with. When we think about how does this tie into the theme of the weekend, I want you to understand what Zacchaeus understood, that when you pursue what this world offers, the opportunities this world's affording you, and you allow the world to define happiness or joy, and then when you do that, you'll find yourself empty and searching and seeking and running down streets and climbing up trees and looking over the top of people's heads to try to see something that's further than what you've ever experienced. And the only thing you're ever going to see when you do that that's going to satisfy you is Jesus. So let me end, end this with these three questions. Have you ever experienced conviction? Convic- Zacchaeus experienced conviction. He's like, man, what a, I've been doing this the wrong way. Conviction is when God presses a weight into your conscience where you're like, man, I feel, it's not like shame and guilt. It's like a weightiness of Man, I need the Lord to lift this weight. I got to give it to him. That's what conviction is. It's not I got to beat myself up because I'm so bad. It's I feel a weight that I can't carry. I need Jesus to lift the weight off of me. Have you ever felt conviction? Because that's what Jesus brings. Have you ever truly repented? Have you ever said, Jesus, take this weight, take my sin, take, give me your righteousness, and I just want to be obedient to you. I want to live my life the way Zacchaeus did, changed and pursuing you. And last, have you ever looked for something or someone that this world is providing in order to find joy and happiness? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But I'm going to tell you something. You might be a staff member. You might be a, an adult leader here. You might be a student. This is for me. This is for you. We have to understand that when we look to another person in a relationship to provide for us what only Jesus can provide, the relationship fails before it ever starts. It fails. No human in this world can give you what you need. But the God human can, the God man can, Jesus can, just like he did for Zacchaeus. And I'm going to tell you this, when your relationships rest on that, then you will love with a reckless abandon the person that God puts you in a relationship with. You'll love that person more than you love yourself. You'll care about what they need more than you care about what you need because Jesus will grow that love inside of you. And it'll be awesome. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.